going to look at the tabernacle today. We're going to read a few verses from Exodus, Exodus chapter 26. And I gave out some, a few handouts uh, of just a diagram. It's not super important if you don't have it. Uh, hopefully, uh, pretty much everybody has one or anybody that, uh, nearby might, might uh, have one. Uh, but it's just a diagram of the, the courtyard and the different pieces that were inside the tabernacle uh, that the Israelites were instructed uh, to use. And uh, for, just for, for future study, if you want to read about the tabernacle, it's found in various places, but uh, the, uh, main, mainly in Exodus chapter 25, 26, and 27. But we're just going to read a few verses from Exodus chapter 26, and then we're going to read a couple of verses uh, from Hebrews uh, chapter 9. So Exodus 26, and let's see, verse, uh, verse number 30. This is the word of the Lord. And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof which was showed thee on the mount. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubims shall, be, shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil un, under the, the, the taches that thou mayest bring hither within the veil the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark the testimony in the most holy place. And thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put the table on the north side. And thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework. And thou shalt make the four hangings five pillars of shittim wood and overlay them with gold and their hooks shall be of gold. And thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. Now let's uh, go over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. And read a couple verses there. Uh, verse 23 says there of Hebrews 9. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. Or that's purified with, with blood there in verse 22. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself now appeared in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer, him, offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with, with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the, of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself 
And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that took for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Amen. We're going to stop reading there at the end of Hebrews chapter 9. So this uh, this tabernacle uh, that, that was... Uh, given instruction for the Israelites to make, uh, the, more, the Lord commanded the Israelites to build this uh, tabernacle and to carry it around wherever the Holy Spirit led them to go in the wilderness. Now, this was uh, typifying a few things. I'm just going to name four things. First, it was typifying the incarnation of Christ. There, the writer of Hebrews tells us that these things are patterns and figures. Uh, or examples, he says in another place, of things in the, in the heavenlies. So they uh, are typifying the incarnation of Christ, Christ being the one that entered into heaven uh, with the sacrifice of his own blood for us. So the word was made flesh uh, or, and tabernacled or dwelt uh, uh, among us or with us. Secondly, it typifies heaven, the principal dwell, dwelling place of God there in Hebrews chapter 23 or, or Hebrews chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 as I said there they were patterns of things in heaven okay there's there's pictures that are typifying uh, these pictures of, of things that God wanted them to make are typifying things that are taking place in heaven itself also it typifies a church body okay it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, in verses 16 and 17, the church is called the temple of God, okay, a place, uh, the dwelling place uh, of the Holy Spirit. And also, fourthly, it typifies the believer, okay, later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, in, in verse 16, uh, Paul says there, ye are the temple of the living God, and he, there he's calling us away from uh, from idolatry and to be set apart, uh, to be set apart from uh, the world and, and from uncleanness, uh, to be to be set apart, to be used uh, for uh, for the Lord. So just as uh, the 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 Lord guided the Israelites uh, by the fiery pillar pillar in the wilderness, and, uh, and God guides us by His Holy Spirit in this wilderness, of this world. And he tells us to pick up, we pick up, and we set down where he tells us to set down, right? If we're dwelling with him, if, we're, if we are living under his power and control, uh, that's the picture there of this, uh, this temple or this tabernacle that the Lord gives us to live in this world, to go uh, as he uh, places us. Okay, so let's look at a few pitch pieces of this uh, tabernacle, this construction uh, of the tabernacle. I'm not going to s- certainly go through e- everything. It would would uh, would take uh, too too long for just uh, just one study, and I'm not sure when the next time I'll be here uh, uh, speaking to you. So we'll go as through as many pieces. And I thank thank the guys for for putting that up there for me. Um, we'll just go through a, a, a couple of pieces. Uh, but first, just look at the the overall picture. There is the this courtyard. And it had like a, a fence around. That was a, a linen fence, 
and there's all kinds of details of how that's supposed to be made and the, and the way the, the posts, posts were supposed to be made, but that was a courtyard that was made there. And uh, if my measurements are right, it's about a quarter of an acre, maybe a little bit bigger than a quarter of an acre. So uh, not a huge, not a huge uh, uh, place there uh, where, uh, where, where, they would, where the courtyard is. It's not a huge, uh, a huge fancy, fancy place, but it was sufficient. That's how God wanted uh, it to be. Okay, so it was about a, about a quarter of an acre. It was open to the covenant community, uh, uh, that, that area there, the courtyard area. And then you had the little area there. We're going to go through the furniture, the, uh, the brazen altar and, and the laver. But the, the, uh, another aspect there of, the, of that was this holy place. And that was veiled and, and it was lighted and it was accessible uh, to the priests. And then thirdly, you have the Holy of Holies, and that's veiled, and that's dark, accessible only to the high priest in the Day of Atonement, and never uh, without blood. And as, as inside that holy place, uh, the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Testimony, uh, and that uh, contained the golden pot of manna, and also had Aaron's rod that budded, and the testimony of the Lord inside that covered by uh, the, the mercy seat. Okay, so this construction, this uh, uh, teaches us that the approach to God is structured, it's organized. It has, uh, it has to be done in a particular manner. That's how God uh, wanted it. It's a sober, serious manner to worship uh, the God of heaven. And it's always God-centered, never man-centered. Okay, that's something that we should always keep uh, in mind that our worship uh, here in this place should be sober, should be God-centered and, and not man-centered. And that is uh, the, the teaching there that, uh, uh, that, we, uh, th- that the Israelites were getting, and that's the teaching we should get from this construction of this as well. Now, later on in Exodus, I'm going to read a, f- uh, a couple of verses here uh, in Exodus chapter 38. And um, we're going to look uh, at a couple of pieces of, of, this, uh, of this structure, and uh, hopefully we can get through the brazen altar, the laver, and uh, we'll see if we can get through some of the, the furniture inside uh, the, uh, the holy place. I doubt we'll get to the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe we'll save that uh, for another time. But just inside the gates there uh, of the courtyard was this brazen altar. And in Exodus 38... Chapter or Exodus chapter 38, verse 1 says, And he made the altar of burnt offering of shittim wood. Five cubits was the length thereof, and five cubits the breadth thereof. It was four square, and three cubits the height thereof. And he made the horns thereof four corners for it. The horns thereof were the same, and he overlaid it with brass. And he made all the vessels, the altar, the pots, and the shovels, and the basins, and the flesh hooks, and the fire pans, all the vessels thereof made he of brass. And he made for the altar a brazen grate of network under the compass thereof, beneath into the midst of it. And he cast four rings for the four ends for, uh, of the grate of, the bra- of, of brass, and uh, to be places for the staves. And he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them 
with brass. And he put the staves into the rings on the sides of the altar to bear it withal. He made the altar hollow with boards. So there's the construction of this brazen altar. would have been the first thing you see when you walk through uh, the, the gates there, inside the gates, into the courtyard there. It was made out of brass and out of wood. Some would say that's to signify the brazen serpent uh, and the cross made of wood, brass and wood. That, that might be true. I, 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 sometimes I think we might stretch it a little bit there. I think it was made out of brass and wood for where you're going to carry this thing around. Four guys aren't going to carry a, an altar that big made of solid brass. So it was made of wood and brass, strong wood, overlaid with brass and bronze to make it uh, e- uh, easier to carry. Uh, and, but but the, the main uh, centerpiece of this brazen altar was the, uh, the sacrifice that was going to be placed on it. It's the only way, the picture there was the only way forward into this area as, uh, as they go forward is, has to be through this sacrifice. Christ is, uh, uh, is the sacrifice of God. He's the one uh, that's the picture there. That's the picture. The only way forward is through sacrifice. And that would have seen every time you go through those gates, you would see the brazen altar. You would see the sight and the smell of the sacrifice burning uh, before you went any farther. And as we approach God, that's where it has to start. It has to start with Christ. Uh, Christ is the only way forward in uh, the believer's life. It's the only way forward to the next station there, the laver. Okay, this is a wash basin. Okay, and this was for purifying things. Uh, and that is found uh, in the next verse there in, uh, uh, in Exodus 38, verse 8 says, and he made a laver of brass and the foot of uh, the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Very interesting bit of information there uh, that this construction of this brazen, this brass uh, laver, okay, it was made out of these looking glasses. Okay, and there's some debate whether these were the actual looking glasses that were, were, uh, were given to, uh, to the craftsmen to make, or were they to fashion it like a looking glass? Well, I think the idea is there that it needed to be shiny. It needed to be like a, a mirror, okay? And, the, and this mirror, this symbolizing of, of God's, uh, God's word, and it washes. First, we get the sacrifice, right? We get Christ's atoning work done in our lives. And what's the next thing we do? God's going to clean. It's going to sanctify. It's going to wash us. How's he going to do that? He's going to do that through his word, through being under the hearing of God's word. And God's word oftentimes is symbolized by a washing or the life of the spirit washing. And what happens when we wash with the word of God? We reflect out what the Lord uh, has done for us. We ho- uh, hopefully reflect out Christ and what his work has done in our soul so we can tell others of his work and others of his grace in our lives and even our lives and what we do and how we act and how we interact, what we do at work, uh, how we react to situations in life, that ought to reflect out what we've learned in God's word also. So we see this labor here, this washing, symbolizing God's word. 
Now, uh, we can look at a couple places uh, of this washing uh, of the word. And, and uh, one place I'd like to look is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three. This is, this is a, a beautiful picture here, uh, verses thirteen and onwards of this veil. Okay, there's a veil over Moses. Okay, just as the veil, a physical veil over Moses, uh, over his face, there is a veil over Moses, over what he wrote. Okay, and that's what Paul is talking about here. This veil that is over Moses or over the law that that they did not understand it. They didn't grasp what was going on, what God was trying to, uh, to, to say. So the verse 17 says, But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Okay, very sad condition uh, there, right? Uh, and verse 18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Beautiful picture there of God's work. We're washed in Christ's blood. We have that sacrifice applied. We read God's word. We're changed. The veil's taken away from God's word. Perhaps we used to go to church, and maybe we grew up in church, and we you know, uh, had uh, you know, the, the, the Bible read to us, but there was a veil on our face. There was a, there was, our ears were stopped. We didn't hear. We didn't understand uh, what was going on. But when Christ comes into our life, that veil is taken away, and it says there, we're, like, it's, uh, we're beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into that image, okay? We look into God's word, we're changed into, into that image, and we're going to reflect that out uh, into the world. Also in James, James, another place where uh, this picture is painted for us in James chapter 1 and verse 23 says there, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth thereon, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Okay, so here again, there's the picture of of God's word. If we're uh, just a, a hearer and not a doer, he's saying here, it's like we look in a mirror and our, you know, we're a mess, and we just forget about it and walk out the door and go to work or go to the office, right? You wouldn't do that. You look in a mirror, say, "Oh yeah, I gotta, you know, clean myself up before I, I go out of the house." Okay, that's the that's you know the, the modern way of looking at that. We if we're not if we're if we're not doers, we we're looking into God's word, and we're just forgetting what kind of person we are, and we're just going to go out our, uh, out of our uh, go out and do whatever we want and live however we want, and not be a doer of what we read in God's Word. Okay, and then finally, in Ephesians, Ephesians, another picture there of, of this, and um, this is uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. It's the, the passage there 
of, of husbands uh, uh, to love their wives as Christ also uh, loved the church. In verse 26 says that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So he's giving the, uh, the, the picture here of, of husbands loving their wives, of, of, of doing this for them, teaching them, uh, showing them the, the word, and just like Christ does through, the, through his word, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the word. So that's the idea there. We're, the, the, the idea there of this laver, very interesting construction, made out of mirrors or made like a mirror, okay? And the idea there is wa- the washing, the ceremonial washing uh, before, uh, after, the, um, after the sacrifice is applied, going forward, the washing, and then the preparation there uh, of going into that, holy place, uh, that, that holy place there to do service. That's what the, the priests were doing. So uh, inside this holy place, the first place there, it's kind of like, uh, 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 you know, you have two separate rooms there, and the one room, they went in there every day, uh, but the other room, they only went in there once a year, and that was the high priest would go in there once a year. But inside that, uh, inside the holy place, there was this uh, showbread, this table of showbread. Okay, we can read about that in a couple places, but I think this, just uh, for time's sake, let's read that uh, about it in Leviticus chapter 24. This uh, showbread, Leviticus 24 and uh, verses, uh, verse 5 says there, And thou shalt make... And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six in a row, upon the pure, pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath day he shall set it in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. So here he says he's going to do this every Sabbath day, going to make these loaves of bread, this showbread, these stacks uh, of showbread, uh, two on each side in this, in this table. Okay, we could go in the construction of the table. One thing I'm just going to note, as we get closer to the holy place, the furniture gets a little more uh, ornate, okay? So this, uh, the, the, the table there is now, it's, this is gold. It's made out of gold overlaid, again, uh, wood over, overlaid with gold. And uh, so it's a, l- a little nicer, a little more ornate. Uh, if you're in my class downstairs, I have a few artist renderings of these, uh, of these uh, uh, articles, uh, of these uh, pieces of furniture. And if you're ever in Lancaster County, there's a, a place... Uh, called the, 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 I think it's just called the Tabernacle, isn't it, Joe? Is it just the Tabernacle? And they have like a, 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 a diorama there of, uh, of it, and you could go and, and visit that. It's kind, of a, it's kind of one of those funny places in Lancaster. It's like a folk art, uh, they, but it's really well done, okay? It's really well done, 
uh, uh, artist's rendering of some of the pieces of furniture there. And I believe we took Dr. Pollock there. Uh, Wayne and I did uh, when he was here for a visit before he was our pastor. Uh, but uh, but it's, a, it's a great place to see, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the construction and see how, about how big this stuff would have been. And, and, uh, and it's just an interesting place there uh, to see the, these things. But this, uh, this table, like I said, it would have been a little more fancy. Uh, it, it's it's uh, now it's being uh, it's it's gold. It's uh, this table is gold, and then there's this offering that's set on it every Sabbath day. So this uh, this offering is is a act of praise and thanksgiving to the to the Lord. Okay, and then what's the picture being being painted here for us? Well, a Christian, uh, as a consequence of being saved by the blood sacrifice and being washed in the word. Now he's offering himself and he's dedicating himself to the Lord. Uh, Christ as our representative, he's, our represent, he's represented uh, by the showbread and he is, uh, he is all we have. And he is the bread of life, okay? Christ is uh, our bread of life. He's the one that dedicated his life completely uh, on uh, the, the glory of the Father, presenting his work as a perfect fulfillment of what the Father wanted him to do. He wanted him to complete the covenant. Okay, he wanted, to, uh, wanted him to do uh, his uh, uh, work as uh, being our representative, being our uh, one that, uh, being our representative before him as our sacrifice, fulfilling all the demands of the law, and then uh, fulfilling that covenant, making that covenant promise, and being our sacrifice. So the showbread there, a beautiful picture of, that, uh, that of, of Christ there, and, and there, it, as you see, it's, it's taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant there in verse 8 of Leviticus 24. So beautiful picture there. Of, of Christ and what he's done for us. And again, a picture of, of, of us giving ourselves to him, but only through him, only through that blood sacrifice and only through the washing of the word are we ready to, uh, to give our lives to him. Okay, now you have this lampstand. And this is probably, probably my favorite uh, piece of this furniture, uh, this lampstand or candlestick. It's a really big piece uh, of of furniture wasn't like you might you might have a Jewish friend that has a a, a, a menorah uh, and and they're uh, they're they're smallish. Well, this would have been like the, the, as tall as a man. Uh, probably would have even had to like step up on a step stool to light it. Uh, it had a center shaft and it had had three branches on each side, seven uh, all together. And the location was inside the holy place. So so on the opposite side of the showbread was this uh, lampstand and it was made out of a single piece of gold okay no wood in this in this piece it was made out of a single piece of gold and uh, and it was beaten a fine work and you can find all the all the details uh, are in God's word there it tells us all the little knops and the flowers and the, and the globes and, and how it's made are all beautiful pictures uh, there of of what God uh, does and it's beautiful instruction on how this thing was uh, supposed to be uh, be made. Now it was fueled by oil and it it's 
uh, one of its uh, uses was simply to light to light the area up. Okay, so you'd see uh, what uh, they were doing, and it, so it lit up the holy place. So that was a, the practical reason. But the symbolism uh, is beautiful because God uh, gives illumination or enlightenment. God gives uh, this through His Word. In Psalm thirty-six, He says, "In Thy light shall we see light." Very interesting phrase there in thy light we're going to see light okay so so uh as god gives us light we're going to see what that light is it's kind of like when my uh my dad would say you don't know what you don't know okay and and well we don't know light until we see light okay and and god illuminates uh us illuminates our lives that we can see uh light okay in second corinthians uh, chapter chapter four. Read a couple of verses there. Um, let's see, Second Corinthians chapter four and verse three says, "But if our gospel be hid, it is hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not." lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. So here, this light, the light of the gospel, uh, is, uh, there's, uh, this is what illuminates our lives, and this is how we understand uh, what God is all about and what Christ is. Christ is the light of this world, okay? In, in John chapter 1, there's a beautiful description. Uh, that whole chapter is, is, is a beautiful description uh, of, uh, of Christ's ministry, at least the, the first half of it. Uh, and in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Okay, so we see here this light, God's light. Christ is the light of life. He's the light of men. And the light uh, shines in darkness. Okay, and the darkness uh, comprehended it not. Okay, and back back again, and you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to uh, read... read uh, a verse there back in Second Corinthians again, uh, and verse verse six there. I should have read that as well. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six says, "For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." You see there, the light shining, same God that commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He's shining now in our hearts to show us the light of life, Christ. Okay, so Christ, this illuminating that God does, and, and uh, he's there is equating it or, or, or showing us a picture that day of creation from the very beginning when God caused the light to shine uh, in darkness, okay? He divided light and darkness uh, and in creation. That same power that 
took to make that light, okay, is what is shining in our hearts. We don't have anything that we can contribute to uh, shining this light in our hearts, okay? God has to do it, okay? If you think of light in, in the universe, okay, you might think of, of light. It's like, you know, you might not think much about it, but it's a creation, okay? Light is a creation. It's not just a bunch of photons flying around, okay? Light is something God created. We might not think about it much of a, like a creation, just like a fish might not think, well, what's with all the water, you know, uh, we, we're in it all the time. We, we live in a lighted world uh, with, uh, you know, that, with the sun, thankfully, the sun lighting this world. But you think any light anywhere in the universe, scientists tell us that something has to make that light. It doesn't happen on its own. Whether it's a little firefly that you might see in the summertime or a quasar that's just a billion times bigger than the sun out there in the universe. It all needs something. If it's making light, it needs something to fuel uh, that light. Something is being consumed to make the light. And that is just uh, something that kind of blows my mind uh, sometimes when you think of the energy that is out there in the universe creating this light. You think of these quasars, uh, and it's just a a wild... uh, I think there's a million known quasars out there uh, that God has placed there for his glory uh, that, that we don't know anything about, but we can now the Lord has allowed people to, to make these telescopes to see them, and they're just amazing, uh, and they're creating this light, but God created them, okay? So if there's any light in us, if there's any light we see, any light in this world, any spiritual light that we have only can come from God, and it's that same creative power that that He used to create light on that first day of creation when He divided the light and the darkness. It's that same light that lights uh, our hearts if we know anything about the Lord. Any spiritual good in us at all, any light that uh, in us at all, only comes from Christ. So we see there this beautiful picture that uh, that God uses. Uh, to show us uh, this this progression uh, of getting to the holy place, okay? The, so the spiritual light shines uh, on our hearts. Now this candlestick, back to the candlestick, it had to be fueled, okay? And Christ being that center shaft, and 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 uh, uh, the picture there, and the branches uh, being the church or being the temple, being the individual believers, it's all fueled. By oil, okay, and oil oftentimes uh, in the Bible is the Holy Spirit. And Christ, what does it say about him? He had the Holy Spirit without measure. He was overflowing uh, with the Holy Spirit, okay. We see in his ministry uh, and uh, limited success, we could say. I mean, he, he did whatever he wanted, and he certainly was not disappointed in his work, but and when he was those three or so years when he had his ministry, you didn't see huge success with the disciples and spiritual leaps and bounds until when? Till he went to heaven and sent the Comforter, sent the Holy Spirit. Then what happened? Peter could preach the gospel. He knew what the gospel was. He he didn't. Uh, uh, he was powered by the Holy Spirit. When people heard it, they believed, and thousands were brought in. That's the idea there. The fuel that powers the candlestick 
or the light is the Holy Spirit. And God gives that to us uh, uh, through Christ. And when we have that uh, Holy Spirit, then we're able to shine uh, that light, that light, and it's not uh, hid from us. The veil is not on our faces anymore. We're able to shine that light out into the world. God uh, gives uh, that through Christ. He's the fuel. The Holy Spirit uh, is the, the one that he sends. The comforter is sent uh, to the church, and then uh, the church has this success. That was a, a beautiful picture there of, of, of Christ's ministry. When he goes to heaven, when he goes into the holiest place of all, the holy of holies, and intercedes for, for, for us on our behalf and sends the Holy Spirit, we see that the church, the, the New Testament church birth, the, the flourishing of, that, of those branches of that candlestick going out into the world and having worldwide success uh, and prosperity through Christ, through all he's done, through that sacrifice that was the very first thing, the very first picture that we would see if we were an Israelite walking into that courtyard. So hopefully we'll get a, a, another look at some more of the furniture, the altar of incense, uh, of course, is another thing that's in the, in the holy place. And uh, it's very interesting there that there's, a, there's another incense that's mentioned in Hebrews 9, another uh, censer, okay? Is that, and it's mentioned being inside the holy of holies. So that's like kind of a debate. You can, you can study that out yourself, uh, but we'll leave that for, for the n- next time. Uh, uh, the, the altar of incense uh, that would have been just outside the veil going into the holiest place of all. And that other censer must have been, it was either a censer that was inside the veil that was used, or it was just a picture of that scent wafting in to the holiest of all, uh, holy of holies. So that can, you can study that out for yourself. What's that censer in Hebrews chapter 9? Well, let's, uh, let's end it there today and ask the Lord to bless uh, the rest of, uh, of our morning. Let's all pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for these pictures that you paint for us in your word. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Heavenly Father, we do pray that we would illuminate for Christ, that you would give us the power of the Holy Spirit to go into this world and to tell others of you. Lord, we feel so weak at times as individuals, as a church, so little among so many. Heavenly Father, give us help. Give us power, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for that light that you commanded in our hearts, Lord, that you are the author of it, that you are the one that shows us all things spiritual, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace. Watch over us today. Give us help today in the meetings to follow, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.